Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. Tennis fifth major is upon us at Indian Wells and like the Australian Open, its, its commencement was rocky. But the tennis that's ensued has been nothing short of extraordinary. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. Plenty to get through tonight, but it's a little bit of a different show because uh, the one and only Joel Frucci, he's uh, he's becoming a property mogul himself. So he's moving house tonight and getting things sorted for that. So I'm joined by, well, none other. He's one of the best tennis journalists in the world. And um, and I do not say that lightly. He really is. 2019 uh, Ron Bookman Award winner for the ATP is one of the best tennis journos. And Courtney Walsh, we've had him on the show before, but it's my pleasure to introduce him again. Courtney, how are you? Yeah, very good, Val. And that's a very generous uh, introduction. But um very well put in terms of Indian Wells. It's uh, one of the great events on the calendar each year. And I think your assessment's been spot on. It was, uh, it's been brilliant tennis to date. Controversial start, a little bit like the Australian Open, but uh, all going well and uh, looking forward to the next few days. Yeah, and it has been a great start to the tournament. A lot of upsets, which we normally wouldn't see. But um, it, the, as I said, the commencement of the tournament was, it was rocky because again, Novak Djokovic was in the draw and we didn't know whether he was going to be able to play and he said that he wasn't going to be going over but somehow was in the draw anyway um, and we couldn't get that confirmed. And then there was also, and the one I want to start with, was the Alexander Zverev issue. And after what happened in Acapulco with the abuse of the umpire's chair um, in, the, in the doubles match that caused his disqualification from the tournament, the ATP, well, to put it, to put it, or candidly, they were. It was soft. It was a really soft suspension. So it was a suspended um, eight months, uh, eight month or year long probation um, for him, and uh, and a suspended fine as well. So what did you make of the whole suspension, and um, and where does it leave the ATP on this stances? Because we know Zverev is under a domestic violence cloud as well. Yeah, it certainly it, it prompted uh, significant consternation uh, among pundits but also clearly uh, fans of the sport alike. Both the initial behaviour, which was reprehensible, no excuse, no matter what time you finished the night before, no matter your ranks to whatever the decision, the behaviour towards the umpire was clearly unacceptable, threatening, and it has the potential for ramifications in terms of trying to in, in, you know, keep officials in the game. It's something that all sports deal with in terms of uh, trying to make sure you don't have your umpires or your officials abused by the participants. So that in itself was a poor look. The, I think the suspended sentence, while very much on the soft side, uh, there is a part of me that can see how they got there, but I, I certainly don't agree with it. I, I think a ban, uh, you know, a, a, an initial ban, given the severity of the offence, it just had to be a playing ban of some sort. People have, you know, raised similar, raised different examples of where suspended sentences have been handed out in the past. You know, we, we talked about Curios, obviously, and it's great to see him playing and performing well in, in the desert. You know, that was a little different to, for mine in that it was a period of uh, egregious behaviour. It wasn't just a one-off. There was there was a there was a host of incidents, a pattern of behaviour. Now we talk about the pattern behaviour in this instance, the explosion against the chair umpire, and, and we've seen too many players too frequently abuse umpires so that's shocking that should be stamped out but there's a rev domestic violence investigation by the ATP no doubt it's a very 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 serious matter but it is something that I think we need to keep separated yeah because and 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 so to try look and without doubt it, it for mine is even more serious a matter 
clearly given the, the ramifications. But one happens in play on court. The other, clearly there's an investigation going on. It's going to be something that I think will play out over quite a period of time. And we don't know. Clearly, there is no winner uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the victim or the the, the, the person who has raised the, the concerns, Olga. You know, that's clearly a difficult situation for her, for those supporting her. And, you know, for Sarev, there is an element of the investigation going on. It is there is a there is a justice in every regard in terms of investigations that should be respected. So, so I find it hard to link the two in terms of in terms of saying it's a pattern of behaviour. On its own, I think this, the the incident just warranted a suspension flat out. Well, and and you're right because how many times have we seen um, players get or for for less or I guess for lesser punishment or for lesser actions they've been suspended and we had Kyrgios in 2016 and look there were a spate of actions there with the Kokonakis bang your girlfriend quote and then walking off the court in Shanghai after winning Tokyo and you know there are a few things going on and a few misdemeanors but I think with with what we've seen from Zverev I I, I just think it, it was it was an act of violence and it was I, I've never quite seen anything even with all the dummy spits that we've seen on court. I've never really seen anything as vulgar as that, I guess, because he went back and then hit the umpire's chair again. So it's um, it's uh, the fact that he was allowed to play at Indian Wells was was quite bemusing, and yeah, I, I think the ATP mucked up on this one big time. Yeah, look, no doubt. As I said, I think warranted an immediate suspension as opposed to a suspended sentence. I can see how they've got to the decision they did, but I I, I can't stomach it. I think any, I mean, I find it I find it very difficult any sort of intimidating behaviour towards the umpire. I find that in itself really difficult. And we've seen that at the Australian Open this year with Medvedev, uh, you know, belittling the umpire uh, in the final. We've seen it um, you know, with, with Nick before, unfortunately. Yeah. We've seen it... Uh, well, Novak with, in with the 2020 final Novak, as well. A yeah, Serena as well. Absolutely. And, and I mean, Fabio Formini is the one that, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the US Open, US Open back in 2016, I think it was, was... Overly, and that was probably the one where we thought, will he get suspended from the Australian Open because of his misogynistic and vile uh, words towards uh, a female umpire involved in the match that he was uh, involved in, and it led to a hefty, hefty fine yeah, and also so. a suspended sentence. But you know, this was the next level for me, just to physically, you know, people, you know, just just too much. Anyway, so I agree, yeah. it should have been an immediate suspension. Yeah, and, and it's I, not and here he plays and he yeah. playing and he's not playing very well. No, not at all. And well, we'll get to the result in a second. But the second one I want to ask you about is well, the Novak Djokovic saga. It continues, and um, I thought that after what happened in Australia, we might be sort of free from from all of the Novak stories for quite a while. But here we are, where it's uh, he played Dubai, lost to Yuri Vesely, and now we move on to Indian Wells and Miami. He said that he wasn't going to go, and he said that he doesn't. it doesn't look like he's going to be able to play. He was on the entry list. But again, the decisions just took too long to make. And the fact that he was in the draw again, I think, was the most disappointing factor because we had the same thing with the Australian Open. It cost, and luckily, and it was so lucky, Jao Sousa was actually the next, uh, the, the first alternate. And all of a sudden, he lost in the final round of qualifying, but got the lucky loser position. So um, I, I thought that was a little bit of luck for for Jao. But yeah, it, it was just a, another disaster in this whole saga. And um, does tennis need to get some proper parameters now for all the ATP? Because this is now a, a sanctioned ATP event. Does the ATP and the WTA need to say, okay, look, if you're not vaccinated, 
you just simply can't play. These are the country's laws. Once they change them, we'll let you know, but you can't be in a draw. Well, I mean, look, to an extent, the ATP and WTA have been saying that all along. Mm. We, we are working with the country, each country's mandate. So, you know, whatever the country's law requirements are, we will abide by. There is no mandate in place, and I think they've been able to somehow skirt by without actually putting their own mandate in and letting, to an, ex- to an extent, the Australian Open, for example, Indian Wells. Well, I mean, the Indian Wells is an ATP event. So, yeah. but the advice was clear with America. So, that, so should, you know, should perhaps the Djokovic camp have, have read the writing and just pulled out for the betterment of the tournament for, to ensure that it wasn't overshadowed. Also, to not disadvantage uh, someone like Sousa and to not compromise the draw where Dimitrov goes in at the top of the draw. Oh, look, I, I think that's that's fair. But in terms of the ATP WTA, well, we know this is going to change through the years, through the year. So, yes, Novak won't be here in Indian Wells. I think it was a very unfortunate situation, but it is what unfolded. And it's, you know, at least he wasn't actually in the country this time. I, yeah. yeah, that was farcical as it was. Uh, Miami, well, clearly that's out of bounds. Yep. But he will be able to play through Europe. The French Open looks like he's certain to be able to play. You know, what Wimbledon it almost looks like he's certain to be able to play. Now, you know, what happened at Wimbledon overnight in terms of a different different matter, but Daniel Medvedev and the, and the yeah. UK sportsman, you know, I mean, that's that for mine is just an unbelievable pressure to put on the player to, to suggest that he must denounce as much as he despised the, uh, you know, as much as you know, Putin is clearly a, you know, a shocking figure in history at the moment to, to request a player to, to, to uh, stand up with, to denounce their leader and the pressure that puts on family members at home is another level. But anyway, so back to the vaccine. But then in the US, by by August, I guess we don't know. Like, will the mandate still be in place in the US? Possibly not. So it's very hard, I think, for the tours to say a firm rule given so many things change between countries. I think clear communication is the key from now on because it doesn't seem as though it's been that way and that's with the ITF, it's with the ATP, it's with the WTA. I think a streamlined set of rules for between all three governing bodies is needed and all four Grand Slam nations as well and all their governing bodies because it's um it's a bit of a farce at the moment. And um, you did mention before we do get to Indian Wells that you raised such a good point about Daniel Medvedev and, and what's, um, what the British government and what, um, what they're being asked to do, the Russian players and, and the Belarusian players as well. They're being asked to essentially denounce what's happening and Medvedev and Rublev have both done that. They've said, please, no fighting. But they want them to go a little step further now. And as you said, the, the danger on their families, we don't know how... Or Putin's a very temperamental man. One day he can make one decision, but the next day he can backflip. And um, what we're seeing now is is pretty horrible. And um, yeah, it, it's a bit worrying for, for the players that they... You know, they're tennis players. They shouldn't have to choose between politics and war and um, and whether they can play or not. Well, I mean, national teams been wiped out of Davis Cups, yeah. Fed uh, Cup, Billie Jean King Cups, uh, you know, World Cups, Olympics, etc. It's far from ideal for athletes, but it is. I can understand that. But to to try to impose on a, an individual player, an int- if you're allowing them to play on the tour as it is, as a neutral, to then ask them to denounce their leader, given we know that on the streets of Russia at the moment, anyone protesting the crimes, uh, pro- sorry, protesting the war, is getting locked up and at risk of up to 15 years jail, as we saw, you know, like to then say to a player, 
no, I, I just cannot fathom that and the pressure that that must put under them. And we're talking Medvedev, we're talking Rublev, we're talking Karatsev, we're talking players like Azarenka, Sabalenka. It's, you know, there, there are a lot of players and clearly for the Ukrainian players, it's such an awful situation in every regard. So it's it's a really, really tricky time for tennis and for sporting organisations all around, all the way around the world. With still grappling with COVID, dealing with uh, you know a shocking situation in Ukraine, dealing with whitewashing of sport, you know through China, through you know we've got a World Cup in Qatar in six months' time. It's it's fascinating the different parallels in sport at the moment, and tennis finds itself as a global sport right in the middle of uh, of many conflicts yep. in terms of uh, how and what to do. Yep, exactly right. And look, that's all away from the court. Let's get to the more positive stuff on the court in the Californian desert. And it has been a wonderful tournament, starting with the men's draw. Um, look, I, I, I penned a piece for the first serve and said that the, the next generation, I think, needs to get a little bit of a move on because no Novak, no Federer throughout most of this year because Novak's played that one tournament. But yet Rafa at 35 with a bad foot, has gone 17-0 and 0 to start the season. And and you look at what he's been able to do at the Australian Open against Shapovalov. Dennis couldn't beat him. He's 10 year, he's you know 13 years older than Shapovalov. Dennis couldn't beat him. Berrettini couldn't beat him. Medvedev couldn't beat him from 6-2, 7-6, 3-2 up and love 40. And now Rafa continues to dominate. And the big three continue to have this stranglehold over the rest of the tour. We've seen Medvedev lose to Monfils. We've seen Zverev lose to Tommy Paul. And now we've seen Stefanos Tsitsipas fall to Jensen Brooksby. All these next trio of guys are just struggling at the moment to sort of capitalize on on the lack of the big three. And I, I don't know if... It means as though they're following the same part as your, or path as your Burdiches, your Raniches, your Nishikoris, your Songas, your Gasquets, your Simons, the list goes on and Ferrer. But the fact that Medvedev's won a slam, I think, saves him a little bit. But what do you make of the the ten, or the men's tennis landscape at the moment? Because it, it's sitting quite perilously for this next uh, this next gen. Look, look, I think at some stage the time will come, and I thought yep. it would be this year, and and I still would be. Oh, I still wouldn't write that off occurring. I wouldn't either, but Me- yes. Yeah. Me- Medvedev, Medvedev is 25 and he's US Open champion who makes the Australian Open final and he leads Nadal two sets to love and gets run down by one of the greats of all time. Yeah. Now, we saw again Nadal's quality. Just It's just you have to close him out. And Corda had that chance this week and didn't he well and couldn't. But again, another young player who has clearly got the talent. For someone like Sitsipas is interesting. He was, you know, against Brooksby, to come off and say that, well, he offers nothing. Well, you you got beaten fair and square in the end after dominating the first set now. But that's not to say, I mean, he's only a couple of years older than Brooksby. It's, it's it, like they're still, yes, they've been around for a long time. It's, you know, three, four years since he's first made a semi-final in, final in Melbourne. He led Djokovic by two sets at the French Open final last year, but he is only 22, 23 yes. years old. He's not, he's not old. Shapovalov is not old. Like it's, it, I, we can, I can understand certainly the impatience. I do think they've got time to deliver and clearly the time will open up because Roger, you know, whether we see him back again, it seems unlikely Novak, you know, I think we will see him back and we'll probably see him winning grand slam titles again, but the clock is clearly ticking. You, you make a point about Alcaraz and Sinner coming yes. in and there will always be yes. someone else behind them. No doubt at all. Uh, they're yet to absolutely demonstrate to me, although I think they're very, very good as to whether they're beyond the guys that they're chasing in terms of Medvedev's sinners, sorry, Medvedev's Sitsipas, uh, Zarev, 
Um, you know, I think Felix is a real contender. I think I was really impressed by what I saw with him in Melbourne. He wasn't as good at Indian Wells, but it's in, it's also tricky in Indian Wells because you know some players just don't play as well in Indian as well Indian Wells as what they do elsewhere in the desert. There's an, there's a sort of like a, the balls, you know, the, the, the air's a bit thinner. It's, it's just, just a different place. So, mm. no, I thought your piece was really, really timely in terms of what it means. And, you know, if we're having this discussion in six months' time, I think it's problematic. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see what unfolds. So, it, particularly at Wimbledon and at the US Open, and, you know, and maybe it's someone like a Hercax who comes through and wins. Like, he could be the one that comes through and wins a slam at some stage this year because... You know, he's been he's very good on the American hard courts. And he's very good on the grass. We saw him dismantle Roger Federer, albeit probably on one leg, but he still made the semis at Wimbledon last year, and you have to yep. beat the players in front of you, which sometimes it doesn't happen. But, look, I, I'm I'm honestly in awe of Rafael Nadal and what he's been able to do in 2022 so far. But the one thing I really want to see is Nadal versus Alcaraz because Carlos, well, he dismantled Roberto Bautista Agu this morning, and... He is hitting the ball like a freight train. It's 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 quite unbelievable to watch, and it's like watching a mini Rafa. So if we see those two get together, I, I'm really, really excited. And then you look at the bottom half of the draw with Brooksby, Demonor's even a chance, and it's so open. And this is the beauty of and what we're going to expect, I think, over the next five or six years with the big three dwindling. I think we're going to see a lot more open tennis, and this is the exciting thing because the WTA is is... It's well, you could throw a blanket over thirty players that can win any given tournament. Oh, and I think, well, aside from when Ash Barty's in the tournament, of yes, course. yeah, exactly right because <laughs> she's unstoppable. Who, who tends to win? Uh, I think a strike rate something like um, I think it's about thirty five percent. She wins one in three tournaments she plays, but um, since twenty nineteen. But no, I think uh, I, I think that's exactly right, and I think the variety felt is such that. It will be great tennis to watch because yeah. there is great variety. There are great shot makers. You've got players who are aggressive. You've got players willing to come to the net as well. Um, you've got a couple of very decent counter punches. Uh, someone like Shapovalov. I mean, you know, when he beat Dimonor at Wimbledon in the final of juniors five years ago, six years, five years ago, I think it was, yeah, yeah. 2016, 2015, you think that they're, um, you know, that it will be only a matter of time. It may not be a matter of time as good as he is because the quality and the depth of men's tennis outside the big three is so, so strong, I think, mm. that, uh, you know, I'll be fascinated to see who emerges. But clearly, you touched on Alcaraz. He was unbelievably against Batista good. I saw some of that match and uh, just his power, uh, you know, for someone so young, but it's not just his power, his craft, his, uh, you know, his ability to, to beat and to beat down opponents with the man in the which you did as a, as a 19 year old, it's astonishing. It really is. And um, before we do get to the WTA, I think, well, Nick Kyrgios, we have to mention him because his yep. tournament so far has been nothing short of magnificent because I think I saw the match against uh, Federico Dalbonis. He dismantled him and then, he was just so clean against Casper Ruud, and I think there was that little bit of incentive for him after what happened in Rome in 2019 where he got defaulted for, you know, abusing the umpire, throwing a chair onto the court and um, and just going rogue. But he was he was mightily impressive. And then, yeah, his, his next encounter, the name escapes me who he comes up against. Uh, but, yeah, it's um, it's us, oh, Yannick Sinner. Uh, uh, Yannick was, Sinner. Because, yeah, Sinner. Yannick yeah. Sinner. Um, that's going to be a barnstorming affair because well, Sinner's in good form himself. 
Oh, it'll be fascinating. Look, the, you, the way Nick's playing, you know, he, against Rude, I mean, the off back cam winner to break uh, the Rude serve in the second set was just superb and, and, and a sign of a player, you know, moving forward, moving well, in, you know, feeling as confident as you can. And he had absolutely no troubles on the serve. He looked like he was in position where once he got the break, he knew he wasn't going to be beaten because he's serving so sublimely. Um, it, it's This is what, you know, we've expected to see from Nick. Um, and it's clearly, you know, he has a break after the Aussie Open. Where he, I thought he played actually quite well at the Aussie Open. Medvedev clearly beat him, but I thought he was actually very competitive in that match against Medvedev. You know, fresh up from basically not playing much through uh, the second half of, of 2021 after barely playing, you know, through 2020. It's clearly there's a motivation there, but, and, I, and I do wonder if there's things in contracts, et cetera, for if you bounce outside the top 100, certain things are in peril and he's and he's clearly got himself fit and he's playing extremely well. And, I mean, clearly in this form, he is a top 20 player without a doubt in the world because he's got the capabilities and the tools and probably higher. Great to see if he can sustain it. He's played Sinner in doubles before and said he, I think he said that at the time Sinner hit the ball harder than anyone he'd ever played against. But when Nick's serving like he is, he'll make life very uncomfortable for many players. So that shapes us a fascinating match. You know, I think if he wins that, he'll be closer to the top 100. I think he's back up to 120 or so at yep. the moment. Um, so if, you know, back inside the top 100, he has a wild card into Miami. Then what? Head home for, head home for a few weeks, dodge the clay season, freshen up get ready to go again in Wimbledon through the grass season. You know, it's maybe not a bad way to play for him, just to, to play the Aussie summer, have a, have a couple of weeks off to freshen up, come back, play Indian Wells, play Miami, have big cracks there, take a break through the clay season. I mean, I wish he would go and play on clay because I think he actually plays on it. He'd play on it pretty well if he had himself settled and focused. But then freshen up for Wimbledon, you've got the American hardcourt season, wrap it up in, uh, wrap it up in mid-September. It's not a bad year. No, exactly. Of time makes his money. Away. Makes his money as well, yeah, and you know he's gets your points and might him fresh and firing is probably uh, not a bad proposition for him. Well, and the fact that he's managed to do this at India Wells after barely playing any tournaments for three years, I think that just speaks volumes for Nick Kyrgios and what he can bring to the sport. So if he can keep focused, I think um, I, I think the the top twenty will beckon for him and maybe even higher depending on the results that uh, that he can achieve. But we'll move to the women's draw now and the final eight is set. We've got Simona Halep against Petra Martic. We've got Igor Fiontek against Madison Keys. We've got Paula Bedosa against uh, Veronica Kudamatova and Maria Sakari against Alina Rabakina. So. A lot of the players that performed well in Melbourne have continued that on. Sviontek had a really good uh, tournament at the Oz Open. Simona Halep was um, was ousted in an epic. Um, Paula Bedosa was, again, ousted in an epic but um, and was just pretty much hit off the court by Madison Keys. But all those, player all those players, including Maria Sakari, have just found their groove this week. And, and Bedosa, the defending champ, I think that win at Indian Wells last year has just catapulted her into a new a new stratosphere of confidence because she's just hitting the ball so hard and it's going in all the time. Her movement's great. Her positivity is great. And yeah, I, I really think she's going to be the one to beat here. Uh, look, the way she played uh, through, you know, we saw her beat Ash Barty in Charleston last year, um, just after Ash had won at Miami and uh, clearly it was a very strong win. Uh, she's just got better and better and better into the top 10, um, I think top five, uh, you know, and clearly a, a major contender, I think, if she can continue playing like she is. 
Uh, I thought she was, again, good today. You could tell how much that meant to her. It was tight first set and was able to get through. Uh, so for mine, absolutely. It's good to see Madison playing very well again, um, you know, on, on, a, on a court that's slower, but, you know, she can just use that power. She's rebounded well from that Australian Open semi-final loss. And we saw how well she played the week before mm. in Australia. So clearly her form has been very strong. I think Robert Keenis back in a quarter at Indian Wells for about the first time since, oh, sorry, Petra Matic yeah. for the first time since about 2017. Uh, so that's good to see. And Robert Keenis, I think, is a very, very talented player. So, and Kudamatova uh, had a couple of good wins early on. So I think there's some really good depth and balance there. Um, who emerges from it? Pedosa clearly is a, is, a, is a player to beat. Harlep, it's fascinating to see her playing well on. on on a hard court and she's been very good and clearly you know, she's the, one, the most credential player left in the tournament given her um, her major successes. I'd love to see her get back to the form she was in when she won Wimbledon a couple of years ago um, when she was just outstanding in 2020. It would be great to see her contending for another major title and uh, if she can succeed well here, you know, that's a, that's a builder leading into, I suppose, Miami but then the clay season where you know she's going to be very hard to beat. Yeah, that's by far her strongest start, strongest or sort of little segment of the year. She generally plays her best tennis there, and we saw 2017 at Roland Garros. She had that title in her pocket and then uh, lost it to Ostapenko, and then 2018 she was able to rebound and win over Sloane Stephens. But, yeah, it's it's a really interesting draw, and I felt this morning was was probably the heartbreaking one. Daria Saville, uh, she had such a wonderful event coming through. She uh, she took down Ons Jabeur, which was such a stunning win. Her first top 10 win in over four years. Uh, then Elise Merton, so we know what she can produce at Slam. She's been in top 10. She's been at major semifinals. And then, um, and yeah, and in her first match, taking down Jung Shui as well, who has also had success um, on hard courts before. But um, yeah, just the injury this morning, unfortunately for her, um, it was a long opening game and Sakari managed to get through and then that was unfortunately it for the uh, for the Australian. But she can be so proud of this week and just in this comeback, I think managing her body might not be the worst idea considering she came through qualifying. Oh, not at all. And I think five hard matches before today. Um, it's an outstanding week for her. You know, I talked to someone close to the, you know, pretty well-placed in Australian tennis who had done a bit of work with Dasha. Uh, leading into the Australian summer, and and, and they were convinced that uh, that she'd be able to get back, certainly top fifty, given how well it seemed she was striking in the latter part of last year as she was, you know, building towards the Australian summer. I think what we've seen this week, that's clearly she's capable of that, provided she can look after the body. Your point is sound. You know, just great to see her when he matches. A fit Dasher certainly adds to the Australian team as well in terms of Billie Jean King Cup um, quality. Um, and, you know, she goes to, well, hopefully she goes to Miami. I, I suspect she'll have to qualify there as well, depending on the severity of the thigh injury. Yeah. Um, but if not, Clay, we know how good she is on Clay. You know, she's premier level semi-finalist in Rome, you know, not too long ago, well, probably a few years ago now, actually, but she can really play on Clay. So and, we'll hopefully, fingers crossed, she's top 100. And you're exactly right. And remember, she beat a fully primed Sharapova when at Sharapova's peak when she was winning French Opens and when she was dominating the tour on the clay court. So Daria Saville, I keep calling her Gavrilova and keep forgetting that she's <laughs> married Luke Saville. So Daria Saville um, looking really good and that can springboard the rest of her year. But Courtney, I do thank you for your time. But before we do let you go, what's the what are your picks? Indian Wells titles and, uh, and runners-up. Uh, we'll go with um, we'll go with Bedosa. Yep. Into now, I have to see who's in the other half of the draw. You've got me there, but I'll go with Bedosa. Um, 
I can't remember who's on the other side of the draw. The other there. side of the draw, we've got Halep and Martic, and then uh, Sviontek and Madison Keys. Uh, we'll go with we'll go with. Uh, I think Keys will hit through Sviontek. She thinks she's been very good Sviontek, but yep. uh, you know, and then so those two, and in the men, well, oh, it's a good question. Uh, it's a difficult one. Curious Uh, uh on, No. Um, <laughs> I, look, that'd no, be like amazing. And if Demonor is ever going to make a Masters 1000 final, it's well, here. He beat Berrettini in the ATP Cup, and Rublev could be there for the taking. We never know. No, no, that's right. I mean, clearly very, very capable. And, and look, I like the way Alex has started the year. I think he's been, you know, yes, Sinner hit him off the court in Melbourne in the end. He didn't produce his best performance there, but he'd been good before that. I think Alex has actually been very good so far this year. So it would be great to see him you know, continue on uh, with the run here. He gets Fritz next, which I think is a tricky one because yep. Taylor's a very good player, but Taylor did go to six in the third today. So it's, uh, you know, Alex is on, our, on court an hour less. Look, I think uh, Hercast is playing very, very well. I think he's, uh, you know, really, really good on those hard courts. Um, who else? Cam Nora, I think, has been playing very, very well as well, showing himself as very hard to beat. Yep, and we, well, we know exactly what he's done at Indian Wells, winning last year, and it was almost the exact same scoreline between um, Norrie and Basilishvili, who met in the final. Now, Norrie won that; uh, he won that encounter three six six four six one last year. This year was six th- uh, three six six three six one, so almost the exact same in a mirror image of what happened in the final last year. But I reckon, uh, I reckon you're right on the women's. I think it's going to be Bedosa and Keys. The men's side, I'm going to go. I reckon he's going to do it. Carlos Alcaraz, I reckon he's going to win the whole thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm going for something left field, and I reckon it might be, as you said, Hubert Hercash in the final. I just think mentally he's a very strong player, and yep. um, and his weapons are only going to grow. He's everybody forgets how young Hubert Hercash is, and um, the potential and the the upside to his game is is mind blowing. So very exciting tournament ahead for the rest of the week. Courtney Walsh, you are one of the best in the world, one of the best tennis journos in the world, and it's it's such a pleasure to to have you on the show. And thank you for doing a little bit of an extended interview with us uh, on Breakpoint tonight. It's been a pleasure, and uh, hope to see you soon. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Val. Really uh, appreciate it always. Courtney Walsh there, Ron Bookman Award winner in 2019. It has been Val Ferbo and Courtney on the show tonight. And remember, remember you can follow us on social media, Breakpoint Pod on uh, Twitter, Breakpoint Podcast on Instagram and Facebook as well. And subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts from. But we'll catch you next week because Indian Wells is going to heat up. We know that and we're very excited for the conclusion of this wonderful tournament.